Hello, and welcome to another episode in the ongoing podcast series, It's Intentional. This is Mike Piccarillo, the Executive Director for CASA, and I'm glad that you're here with me today because I'm going to take you on a personal journey and a leadership journey because the both are intertwined. A journey I think that we are all on, a journey to co-create our futures. And I'll talk a little bit about what that means in a bit. The spark for today's topic comes from co-teaching a class in the Russell Sage College doctoral program for educational leaders, which is a great honor to teach in. And I, I always learn a lot. And I learned a lot this weekend. This weekend, we were applying the work of Otto Scharmer to a discussion about the emotional state of educators in our current pandemic environment. Scharmer wrote a book called Theory U in 2006 and then updated that book to uh, a smaller version, The Essentials of Theory U, in 2018. And in that book, he talks about the blind spot. So I would like to share with you an excerpt from the book about the blind spot. Here we go. There is a blind spot in leadership, management, and social change. It is a blind spot that also applies to our everyday social experience. The blind spot concerns the inner place, the source from which we operate when we act, communicate, perceive, or think. We can see what we do, results. We can see how we do it, process. But we usually are not aware of the who, the inner place or source from which we operate. Now, Sharma speaks about Theory U as a process of organizational capacity building and also of connecting people and their work. He speaks about learning from the future as it emerges and moving from an egocentric point of view to an ecocentric point of view and leaving a space for the future to emerge. Leaving a space is a concept that I think we've all become familiar with throughout this pandemic. We have often had to create spaces for people to decompress from the stresses of the day. More importantly, spaces for collective solution making, leading to hopefully actions to improve our situations and circumstances. About leadership, Sharmer says, successful leadership depends on the quality of attention and intention that the leader brings to any situation. Two leaders in the same circumstances doing the same thing can bring about completely different outcomes, depending on the inner place from which each operates. We are going to talk about that inner place today. I'm going to talk about my journey through the inner place. But first, a little bit about Theory U, which is a really involved and complex theory. It's not an easy topic to condense into a 10-minute podcast. So I'm going to give you a quick description of Theory U. And the, the process starts by imagining the letter U. See that letter in your head. Now, starting at the top left of the U, see a word downloading where people operate from old patterns, meaning playing old tapes. It's when we react based on a script that we have in our minds. We move down the U, the left side of the U, to the bottom of the U, 
to a place called presencing, which Sharma describes as a period of stillness and reflection. It's where we become open to the future. I'll talk about some of the roadblocks that are in the way to getting to presencing in a moment. From there, as we move up the right side of the U, which is marked by a collective action, this is where the future emerges through what Sharma calls co-creation. At the top of the right side of the U is performing, which is marked by the evolution of practices and infrastructure in an organization through that co-creation process. With every journey of self or collective discovery, there comes challenges, or as Sharma says, the potential for decoupling, the disconnect between thought and action. For example, Sharma notes four barriers. First, not recognizing what you see, which he says is decoupling perception and thought. Next, not saying what you think, decoupling thinking and talking followed by not doing what you say, decoupling talking and walking, or as we say in common language, not walking the talk. Finally, not seeing what you do, decoupling perception and action. There are also three inner voices of resistance that one has to work through down the left side of the U to get to presencing. The voice of judgment, which blocks your open mind, the voice of cynicism, which blocks an open heart and makes us less empathetic to other people. And the voice of fear, blocking an open will. The constant stress and challenge that people have been facing has led to some downloading. That place at the top left of the U. Downloading leads to people longing for that imperfect yet safe environment of the public education we knew before the pandemic. There's a beginning of a decoupling taking place in that particular line of thinking, a listening to the inner voices of resistance. This shift in thinking and feeling was shared at our last recent weekend class as a number of the students engage in a thoughtful discussion about the pandemic and how the pandemic has really kind of worn down educators. There seems to be a regression taking place, a, a moving back to this level of downloading, a stepping back from a focus on learning, a focus on learning from our challenges and embracing that emerging future. We've heard often, and I've said often in previous podcasts, that that kind of thinking and accompanying actions would be a detriment to our students. It would be a failure to seize on the opportunity that we have to collectively recreate our educational system. That is one of the opportunities of this pandemic. I strongly believe that. So this prompted me to share a spur of the moment thought during that class as people were talking about this dynamic of educators kind of stepping back into that downloading mindset. And I suggested that there should be a fourth voice of resistance. And I did this without any consultation with Otto Sharma. 
I call it the voice of privilege. The voice of privilege, I define it as blocking open action. Now, I should step back to my childhood here and tell you that I, I don't see myself as always having been privileged. What do, what do I mean by that? Well, in my childhood, I know I had the advantage of being a white male. Now I know that. I didn't know it then. But I also had the disadvantage of growing up in an economically challenged home. And this made me aware of the inequities in our society. But as much as I disliked my more privileged peers, I secretly aspired to have what they had. I wanted the American dream. This was the voice of privilege beginning to speak inside of me. I went on to have a successful career as an educator. And along the way, I challenged the system. But the voice of privilege always tempered my actions. And now, at this juncture in my life, being semi-retired, though I know I still speak from a voice of privilege and a place of privilege, I'm really working hard to move past the voices of resistance to that place of presencing and up the right side of the U. I still have a lot of work to accomplish there, but I believe as a white male educator, the voice of privilege is a major roadblock for any of us to take the actions necessary to help address the inequities and prevalent structural racism and sexism in our educational system and society. I believe real change starts with action, the actions of educators like me. I know I need and we need to each identify the source of our perceptions and beliefs to understand how they may inform the inner voices of resistance in us and begin to move our organizations toward co-created collective actions. As Sharmer says, each of us is two, the person we have become and the one waiting within us to be born. It's time to emerge from the womb of privilege. Why? Because we can no longer stand by and allow black and brown educators to bear the brunt of responsibility for changing the structures of inequity, racism, and sexism. Quite honestly, whether we knew or not, we've contributed to and we have perpetuated through sometimes misinformed action, other times inaction. Our black and brown peers are exhausted from fighting discrimination every day, all day in their lives. I recognize that my privilege allows me to have a break from that kind of work each day because I'm a white male and I can move through my community without the same fears experienced by people of color. It's an incredible luxury. It's also, I think, a detriment to society. So I'm now speaking specifically to my white male peers, and I'm asking you to join me in doing the work of overcoming the voices of resistance, the voice of privilege, and taking the actions necessary to work with all educators and members of school communities to co-create an equitable, anti-racist, and anti-sexist educational system that truly serves all children and families. I promise you that CASA has already begun this work through our many partnerships, partnerships with the National Urban Alliance, with Common Threads, 
an organization that's worked with us on anti-racist workshops, the McLean Group, and our new partner, Ashina Baez Incorporated, who's going to work with us on leadership mindfulness. We have to be intentional about this work. We need to be part of a co-creating of a future educational system that celebrates diversity and denounces racism, sexism, and inequity. And it starts with doing our own internal work. So I ask you to join me in that work and stay tuned because there's more to come on It's Intentional.